friends and welcome to yet another film club. I'm Adam. I'm Bex. Uh, and we're here going through our trusty jar of film categories, picking one film each a week and then dissecting and discussing. So we've covered a few categories already, uh, but this week's, well when we first picked this, mm. you, I, think, I, I believe last week you lay out an audible groan. Yeah, because, no, it wasn't like a bad groan, it was just like a, oh, I can't think, on the spot, I couldn't think of a single, apart from like the obvious what films, oh, I couldn't think of anything obvious, but... Um, I'd taken it to mean that you're not a fan of uh, of the man's work behind this week's category. Um, we might as well say it, people will have read it on iTunes. Sure. It's, uh, this week we had to pick films directed by Danny Boyle. Yeah, yeah, and I, it wasn't that I don't, I don't dislike his films, I just... I don't... That isn't true, actually. I do kind of dislike some of his films. I find him a little bit hammy sometimes. And um, not him personally, I, but yeah. his, the, his writing. And, and, and I know he doesn't actually write a lot of this stuff himself, but, you know, he's a director and he has a say in how it's performed. And I just find it's all a little bit, like, you know, cutesy and not... That's even... That's wrong. Contrived. Yeah, contrived. maybe. I, mean, I, I feel like he's not... He's not a Richard Curtis levels of, oh, no. of you know, ham, but wafer thin ham. Yeah, and I, I'm sure a lot of people would disagree, and 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 I, I and I would, I'm completely open to be to be proven told I'm wrong because I don't really know his repertoire that well, and I don't, um, I only know I've only seen a few of his films, none none of which I've seen multiple times really. So I guess I'm just not a mega fan, mm-hmm. and um, so yeah. And there are people that are, and I think, oh, yeah. I, I think what's happened for me a bit when I was looking at the films that I could have picked is that Danny Boyle films. emerged or became well known Mm. at an absolutely peak formative period for me and I think that's true of a lot of people who are now in their mid to late 30s or early 40s who loved things like Shallow Grave and obviously Trainspotting I'm sure we'll we'll talk about briefly Um, but I think it does lead people to defend him where perhaps some of the work he's done doesn't warrant defending. Yeah, man, he's made like absolute cult classics. I mean, Train Spotting. Let's talk about it because um... well, we could have picked that, but we didn't. I didn't pick it because I thought I felt like it was almost too obvious. It's so head and shoulders above the rest of his work in terms of what he's recognised for. Yeah, and actually, we have actually watched it quite recently. Yeah, and Confession Alert. That was actually the first time I'd ever seen it. I know. I could, and that was only maybe six months ago. Um, so yeah, I'm not really sure why I skipped the train spotting thing. And then, and people talk about it like conversationally, like like quoting things from it. And I'm like, oh yeah. Oh no, <laughs> you've, you've like... been coasting by all these years, pretending you'd seen it. Yeah, I was so embarrassed about it, and that, so I felt like I pieced together so many anecdotes about it. That I felt like I'd seen it. Just briefly, now that you've seen Train Spotting, would you be interested in seeing Danny Boyle's sequel? T two transporting. Um, no, not really. Mm. I mean, it's not for me. I I would say just briefly, and I mean, we'll get onto this a little bit with, with with the film that you picked. Danny Boyle doesn't do sequels very often, and when he does, I find them solid but ultimately unnecessary. What other ones has he done? Well, I don't want to spoil it without getting onto the one that you've picked, so oh, we can talk yeah, about it. We'll talk about it later on. But T two transporting was uh, enjoyable to be back in those characters' lives. I felt like. The themes of it were bigger than they, than they. He could have just totally rehashed it. I felt like there was a lot of talk in that film about nostalgia and about revisiting your mm. past and why it's not always such a good idea. But it wasn't enough to elevate it to being a great sequel worth making. Right. And I did feel like it's the sort of thing that if two thousand people asked Danny Boyle, "Are you ever going to make another Train Spotting?" Sooner or later, the answer yeah. became yes. 
What other films did you have on your long list? So I considered the film Millions um, oh. because I don't know a huge amount about it and I've never seen it. I've not seen it. Um, but it came out, you know, at a peak time for him. It was sort of, I think it was before Slumdog, but it was after Trainspotting. Um, I am a big fan of... 2004 it was. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm a big fan of the film Sunshine, but I didn't pick it because I know you don't like it. Just and I'm trying to pick things that at least we we both we both think we like or we don't know. Isn't it like. one of your favourite films? It's my brother's favourite film. Oh. Uh, shout out to Elle. Um, I do like it. I think it's inventive. I think it's it's a kind of space horror, I suppose. Yeah, there are bits of really cool moments in that film, but bloody hell, it's long. It is long, it's yeah. It's about an hour too long, I think. That's fair. I think I think that is a problem with a lot of space films, though, is yeah. that they move at a glacial pace. And with space films, then they're kind of like, fuck, how are we going to end this? Like They have to then like drag it on and on and on, and they're like, right, let's, how the hell are we going to wrap this up and solve this problem? Yeah. And I can't even remember what happens. Do they all die? Does it blow up? <laughs> I think we shouldn't spoil it. Oh, sorry. We want to see it, um, but I, I do think it's an impressive film. I think I think his scope of ambition with that is, is great, and also, unlike perhaps at least one of the films we're going to talk about today, the tone of Sunshine I think is fairly consistent mm. throughout. There's always a kind of there's always a sort of low note of dread hanging through Sunshine, whereas at least one of the films we're going to talk about is literally all over the shop. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, I forgot a lot of films yeah. that he actually... I forgot that he directed 127 Hours. Yep. Um, I didn't realise until now that he directed yesterday the Beatles film with the Ed Sheeran cameo. I mean, thankfully, that's not out on DVD yet, so that we didn't yeah. really count that as I eligible. mean, we wouldn't have hit that anyway, would we? Uh, and I think there's one that you thought about picking that, again, I'd forgotten that he he adapted from a novel the into beach. a film. The Beach. Yeah. I, I can't believe I forgot that he did that. Yeah. So on my long list was... Um... <laughs> The first thing that came into my mind was the Olympics. <laughs> and that, I think that's eligible. It's, yeah. you know, you can argue it's it's a TV movie of sorts. I it's agree. movie it's movie length. It was released on DVD. I think was it? I think you could even go and see it in cinemas at the time because the hysteria around the Olympics was so high. Do you know what? I would really like to see that again. Yeah. Because I felt like when that when I watched that on TV, it was such a celebration. I thought he did it absolutely perfectly. And don't you think, as much as you've got ac- accusations of ham against him in filmmaking, the Olympics opening ceremony where everyone has got a, uh, is hitting a real high point of hope and and kind of yeah, and the sort of patriotism that doesn't start fights in pubs. Agreed. Pride. Yeah, that is where ham belongs. A little bit of celebratory ham yeah. at that point. And I feel like I've been really unfair actually saying that because now I'm thinking about other films. He's, he's It's not exclusive ham. Um, but I'd, yeah, it, it just doesn't... I don't know. In my long list was um, The Beach, mm-hmm. which has which has got no ham in, actually. And I haven't seen for years. I yeah, would love to right. see it again, actually. We Absolute should watch that. Brilliant All Saints uh, single alert as well. <laughs> That's not really why I'd be watching it, but Do you sure. remember when that single came out? Yeah, yeah, that was a big deal. Oh Do you remember, uh, the video's awful. It doesn't tell you all the time. It's just like a, it's like a night vision camera following them around, cut with scenes from the cut film. Scenes from the film, but yeah. It's so blurry and awful, and it was on telly like five times a day. Yeah, that was peak All Saints as well. Mm-hmm. I fucking loved all scenes. Um so I, I almost picked that and, and I was I had that in my like hands right up until the moment till mm-hmm. the night. In before. your metaphorical hands. Yeah, you know, like I really couldn't decide between the two films because I, I I haven't seen the beach for ages. Um I did think about Slumdog, but um that that is 
way too hammy for me. I mean, I, I, I thought I like when I first watched Slumdog. I remember thinking, "Wow, like this is such a cool story," and it was so really well performed. I thought the actors did a really incredible job, but um, it's just a bit schmaltzy at points and mm. a bit um, twee. I didn't think of 127 Hours because I don't particularly like that film. Oh, it's um, an unpleasant watch, isn't it? Yeah, but Franco won, a, won an Oscar for it. Did he? Yeah. So I've actually got a really cool fact. Directed, He directed three actors to an Oscar-nominated performance. James Franco is one. Do you know the other two? Dev Patel in Sondorg. Really? No. Wasn't nominated? No. Not, not, to, not according to my IMDb trivia. Oh, God. What else is there, then? Um, surely no one was nominated for Sunshine, were they? I don't think so. No, it could have been. I was going to say it could have been Killian Murphy in Sunshine. Shall I tell you? Yeah, go on. Steve Jobs film. Oh, so of course. Fassbender and Winslet got nominated for that I film. I forgot about Steve totally Jobs. forgot about Steve Jobs. Yeah. And so Steve Jobs, when did that come out? Um, That's one thing you can say for Danny Boyle is that his filmmaking career is is quite varied. Yeah. I mean, his range of actors is perhaps a bit less varied. He tends to pick oh. the same people over and over again, but. I mean, yeah. yeah, but I mean, you could, you know, if you're, if you're going to level that at Danny Boyle, you can also level it at Quentin Tarantino, you can level it at Wes Anderson. I mean, Wes Anderson yeah. is picking from the same pool of 30 people every film he's ever made, surely. Yeah, but Danny Boyle's often picking from like five people. <laughs> that's true, that's true. Um, Steve Jobs came out in 2015, and didn't, who wrote that? Um, Aaron Sorkin? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, and I think that, I... I that's all I take away from Steve Jobs, that, that film. I don't, didn't even know that Danny Boyle directed it, but I do remember that Aaron Sorkin wrote it because don't, the writing is so Aaron Sorkin. And yeah, don't you feel like when Aaron Sorkin writes something, it sort of it takes away the identity of yeah, the director to doesn't an extent. Matter. Yeah, because yeah. the writing is and the dialogue and is all you remember. And I do remember thinking... I didn't really enjoy that film, but I do remember thinking that Winslet did an amazing job. Um, I felt like it was too soon for a Steve Jobs biopic. I agree. I thought, you know, in, in an era where, you know, it's... It's probably only been about ten years prior to that that you were getting biopics about like Muhammad Ali yeah. and people, you know, maybe and Johnny Cash and kind of people who've had a, a you know. I suppose Steve Jobs had a whole you know a whole life of innovation, and they knew mm. that the story didn't have any further to go because he's passed away. Yeah. But it felt a little bit Too premature. Soon, yeah, and I kind of just thought that not not enough maybe not yeah not enough time had passed for me to really miss him. <laughs> <laughs> because we were so close to me and Steve um, <laughs> but do you know what I mean like yeah like Johnny Cash I get it because he's 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 been gone for a while and you are ready for it but it was it felt like a bit of a they were jumping on a um, on a gravy train would you say it's more than his job's worth not that's not okay babe um, okay so we should warn you that you may hear cameos from our cat Lynn uh, 50 as she pops in and out sit still yeah I'll try not to excite her too much <laughs> I mean it's hard mm. Uh, so, shall we talk about the films we did pick? Yes. Shall and I go first? Yes, you go first. So, I picked 28 Days Later. And I picked it because, um, one, I have only seen this film once, and it was a That's really... insane. I know. I know, because I obviously know your... Well, now I know your history with it. I actually didn't know um, your love affair with 28 Days Later well, until yeah. we watched it. But, yeah, I'd only seen it the one time when it came out. And these kinds of... Um, Zombie. Well, I think Twenty Eight Days Later kind of burst all future zombie films, all future um, yes, darling, um, all future blockbuster zombie films. I should say 
in the way they shot it and in the way they portrayed zombies and how they attacked people and stuff like that. So I, I think I think this is this is actually you know got a lot to answer for in terms of other zombie films. And usually I really like zombie films. I, I quite like like World War Z and I'm Legend and stuff. I can't think I kind of really like it. But I think you've named two particularly impressive zombie films. I think there were mm. there were a lot of shit ones mm. uh, and a lot came in the wake of this. I mean certainly this is by you know miles from being the first zombie film and it's built on the shoulders of. George Romero and people beforehand yeah. but this certainly felt like it, it heralded in a new era for better and worse yeah, of, yeah. Of, of loads of them at once and I remember when I first watched this I thought um, I thought wow like all those shots of London like deserted London were so cool and um, I thought Killian Murphy did a really good job and um, I just thought it was it was it was very iconic at the time and I don't really know why I didn't revisit it really I just wasn't I don't know cause... Mm. it's not the kind of film that you ha- you need to watch repeatedly no I think I watched it a lot because it came out right when I I was in a real love affair with horror um, 2002 eh yeah um, and I think it was ju- it must have been just after I'd gone to uni as well it was right. right in the middle of uni um, I was just in the mood for it. I was really, it was really timely. I think, yeah. and I wanted to see something that was quite savage and was filmed in quite a scrappy way. Yeah. Um, but I would say, not to jump ahead too much, I've fallen out of love with it a bit. Well, yeah. I was very impressed when I started, and now a lot of the things that I loved, I, I, I maybe it's because so many films have have copied it since, but I've, I've fallen out of love with it a bit, and the things that that mildly irritated with me about it the first time all the things I sort of tolerated I now can't stand mm. and by that I mean quite a lot of people in this film's bad acting oh man <laughs> it mean, is embarrassing I think not to be mean I think she was you know she was young but Megan Burns who plays uh, Hannah uh, is pretty Hannah. leaden in this thing and it really does take me out of the moment oh it is Cringy. You need some suspension of disbelief to to believe that zombies are real. And not only did it stop me believing zombies are real, it it, it stopped me believing that I wasn't watching a film. There's nothing worse. Um, well, I'll, it, uh, there's nothing worse when you can see the acting. <laughs> and I feel like I am taking words out of a friend of mine's mouth who is a casting director. But you you can see the acting on so many people in this film, and it really takes you out of the moment because. When you watch any film, particularly a film that's like about zombies and stuff that's completely bananas, you you don't want to be reminded that it's just a film and that you're that none of this could be real. And she and a few other performances, I think, are just like, oh god, come on. And even it just... the, even Emma Hitching, who plays Jim's mum, uh, Jim oh. Killian Murphy's character, she's only in it for about three lines, but they're so Terrible. so very wooden. And some of the soldiers are really bad. Um, and uh, yeah, Cockney by Numbers. Yeah. And there's some quite hacky dialogue. So right at the beginning before... Well, there aren't really credits, but right at the beginning of the film, David Schneider's scientist when he comes yeah. across the uh, the anti-vivisection uh, ant, like uh, activists. And then he's sort of running over to the phone and going, security, there's been a breach, get to sector. And then they cut the line before he gets to say what sector he's in. Wouldn't you just say... There are people here, get the fuck down here. Like, <laughs> Yeah, and it's just like, that's the sort of dialogue you expect to see when someone's making a parody of a film like yeah. this. Because you know Alex Garland, Alex Garland wrote this. So Did they, he, as well as The Beach? Yeah. Okay. So, well, yeah, The Beach was a film. Oh, sorry, The Beach was obviously a book. 
that they converted that they um, translated into a film. But I think he wrote the screenplay for this, or he co-wrote it, or something. Because this came out. I didn't know this after the beach. Did it? Yeah. Interesting. The beach came out in two thousand, and this came out in two thousand two. Oh, I didn't realise that. I would never ever. Rep- I think this is dated terribly yeah. compared to the beach, which I think still stands up and I kind of forget when I, I would never believe that was nearly 20 years old mm. um, but this I think has really aged It's. I think it's still got some iconic shots like you mm. say the shots of London um, and I think it's kind of it's quite savage in a way that other zombie movies weren't just little things like your first shot of Jim he's like completely naked and like prone on a table you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily I averted get... my eyes obviously when I saw <laughs> Jim's naked well body done. Um, and yeah, some of the kind of some of the savagery in there is really good. So, bit where they're making their way up the tower um, is, is is really interesting. And like the shot, some of the shots of um, like they're trying to collect water on the roof of the tower block, and yeah. um, a lot of the motorway shots are great. I read that they yeah. they filmed that between seven and nine a.m. Uh, and they would slow traffic for it. They had ten cameras on that road, and they managed to get one minute of usable footage. Yeah, yeah, it was, and that was on the M1, and um, and. It's so hard to sh- to close them a motorway. Mm. Yeah, I bet that cost them a fortune. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the other thing. They were on a very tight budget. We'll come on to that a bit later on. But um, at one point, uh, they end. They were going to end the film with them busting. Uh, obviously, they they try and find salvation from the uh, the infection, and they go to this kind of military run base camp. And um, and then it turns out that it's not all it's cracked up to be. And Christopher Eccleston's uh, kind of slightly deranged. Yeah, commander um, thing. army boss, um, and it and and there's a point where they burst through the gates and escape from this compound. Mm. There was a version of the film that ended on that shot, um, primarily because they'd run out of money. Oh, yeah, um, right. But it tested badly, I think, and so or no, the studio saw it and they were like, "No, you can have more money to do a proper mm. ending." This film in total had eight different endings, did it? Uh, including one where they all, uh, the three of them, go to hospital and Jim dies in hospital. <gasps> Um, but th- a lot of the endings tested as being too negative audience didn't like it and mm. so they changed it to what I think is a pretty disjointed ending mm. where they're putting together you know a kind of a giant SOS message or this is another thing that com- annoyed me a bit they he w- uh, Jim wakes up towards the end of the film and the curtains are gone from his bedroom because they're using all the fabric in the house to make a big sign that aircraft flying over will hopefully see and they'll get rescued but they're spelling out the word hello which is five letters, they could have just done SOS. And they'd have been, they'd have been ready like two weeks sooner. He could have kept his curtains. It doesn't make any sense. Why and would it, you write hello? Well, they start, when you first see that shot, it says hell as well. Oh, so yeah. I was like, oh, okay, so this is just someone saying they're in hell. Uh, so I didn't see, and I genuinely couldn't, didn't remember that's how it finished, mm. how it ended when I first saw it. I, yeah, and I guess it, 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 they tried to end it on a bit of a high note. So there's a there's a, zoo, a weird zoom into some zombies that look like they're starving. So the idea is that you know the infected are vulnerable. Yeah, dying. Yeah. And then um, actually, there's a bit where the, the pilot that spots them says something in Finnish, and I looked this up. Apparently, he says, uh, "Could you send a helicopter?" So, although most audiences that speak English wouldn't have known that, it does mean that they're basically saved. Saved, yeah. yeah well, that's okay. the idea. Well, again, like, you know, it's a happy ending. Good one, Danny. You know, yeah. I, I, I don't know if I would have preferred it if they died, I suppose. But um, I suppose I'm not dis- unsurprised. It felt a bit disjointed. When you think about how bleak it gets in the third act. Yeah, and I'm a bit like... So, 
it was so bad, yeah. How have they survived in the middle of nowhere in some very picturesque cottage? Looks like they're in Scotland or something. I think they've just driven somewhere remote, haven't they? Right, okay. And stocked up on the way and tried to, you know, pull their skills. Yeah. yeah. Wouldn't you be gutted if you're left with Hannah? Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Live out your days with Hannah. Annoying Hannah. I mean, they also really drive the point home about uh, Naomi Harris's character, Selena, being like an absolute survivalist and she's got yeah. no room for humanity. And there's kind of, there's wider themes about, you know, to what extent is it worth being alive if you've got no humanity left, kind yeah. of like Selena does. But then on the other hand, if all you've got is humanity, what's the point of that if you're going to die instantly, like mm. Jim was set to do? Yeah. And I guess they find a compromise over the film. But it's very it's like being hit with a sledgehammer then making the point about oh, Selena doesn't care she'll leave yeah. you behind and they just they make it clear within about five minutes of meeting her and then they spend the rest of the movie just hammering it back over yeah and over agreed again. yeah, Got a bit yeah. Tiring. yeah but I thought her performance was really good and the bit where you know that they think they're gonna get um assaulted and stuff I, I, that was quite that was really tense and things and, mm. and she softens towards the end when she starts to sort of look after Hannah and be more sort of maternal towards her yeah there's, def- there's definitely some character growth isn't there mm. Jim Jim becomes hardened to the point where he has to kill a boy um, I find their like creepy kiss scenes a bit unnecessary or, the, or they just keep grabbing each other yeah and then she just marches out the door well, she can't handle the vulnerability, can she? I think oh, is that the, what it is? I think that's the point. I think it's, yeah, it's not just like, oh, I kiss you, oh, I hate you. It's like, she, you know, she doesn't want to soften because she knows that she's seen people get killed that oh, way. Yeah. But also, she knows that she can't survive on her sort of, like, toughness alone. She she, she does feel something for oh, her. Oh, babe. I mean, that's why you... <laughs> I'm the born so... romantic here. You're just like, what's she running off for? <laughs> Absolute tease. Um... I, I yeah, so I felt the ending was disjointed, and I feel vindicated by the fact that that wasn't necessarily mm. the original ending. And do you know what? Uh, unlike other, I mean, maybe it's because this is a bit older. But un, when I watched like World War Z, which I do compare this film to, mm-hmm. um, I was I found in World War Z I was genuinely tense. I was felt like really heart racy, like in, as all like thrillers and good action films like this should do. Um, but in this one, I wasn't really scared. I didn't really feel that tension. Yeah. Um, which, uh, and I'm not really sure why. I think I did at the time. Yeah. I, th- I think maybe it's got to do with, in the lineage of zombie films and when you saw them, yeah. how early this was. Yeah. I suppose, did you see quite a lot of the films that followed this, like World War C and like uh, Dawn of the Dead remake and things like that, Yeah. before you got to this one? No, I th- I can't. I don't know. I really can't remember when I first watched this, and I don't. It definitely wouldn't have been in a cinema. Did you this... see? Sorry, did you see the sequel? Twenty twenty eight no. weeks oh, later. Oh, I did because I knew that. Um, and I thought I got them muddled up because I knew what's his chops was in there, Scottish. Um... Uh, Robert Carlyle. Yeah. yeah. So I Danny thought... Boyle again working with the same people from Trainspotting. Yeah, I thought he was in this one. Oh, I see. So I must yeah. have seen that one. I remember thinking twenty eight weeks later was impressive. Um, but much like T2 Trainspotting, the sequel, unnecessary. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, again, I think it's one of those things, you can only be asked so many times, mm. you know, when are you going to make another one mm. and before you before you buckle, mm. if you're at all interested. And because did you know that you and McGregor were supposed to play Jim? Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. yeah. But they had a falling out because um, he, was oh, also, yes. he was also supposed to play Leonardo DiCaprio's character in the beach. I remember this, yeah. And he didn't get it or something happened. And so then, by the, so he was, he was apparently scheduled to play 
twenty eight gym, um, but because of the falling out over the beach, he didn't. Oh. Yeah. Well, uh, Danny Boyle's made a rod for his own back there. If you're going uh, yeah. to let people expect to be cast in all your films because you always pick the same people, they are going to get annoyed when you pick someone else. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so so McGregor was supposed to play the lead in the beach, and then he was mm. replaced by DiCaprio. Do you think McGregor would have been a better Jim than Killian Murphy? No, I think Killian Murphy's an amazing actor, actually, and I think he really had that kind of scrawny Londoner. I think I think mm. I think at the time, Ewan McGregor was perhaps too famous for it, and because I think in that time he was pretty famous. Yeah, yeah, and this was kind of the making of Killian Murphy. This was like his yeah, breakthrough. Yeah. I think I, I, I can't imagine Ewan McGregor doing a better no. job of this. And I definitely can't imagine Ewan McGregor being Leonardo DiCaprio in the beach. Can you? No. Can you fuck? Like, <laughs> no way, Ewan. I think also the beach must have been a more expensive film to make, so they needed probably somebody very bankable to front it yeah. to get the budget to go and film in Thailand or wherever yeah. they filmed it yeah uh, okay so that's 28 Days Later 2002 unless you've got any other tidbits oh I've that. got I've got oodles or tidbits alright well I've chuck, got tids chuck on us a couple bits. of the best ones um this is one of the first mainstream films to be shot entirely digitally as opposed to on film. Oh, I did want to talk about this, actually. Oh, well, yeah. funny that. Because obviously it's all kind of, it's been given that sort of grainy CCTV mm. feel. And at the time everyone was like, oh, it's a world first, it's so inventive. Mm. But now I watch it and I think, mm, does it make it a better film, really? Like the explosions looking like they're all on CCTV? I don't, I don't know, oh. maybe... I feel like maybe maybe it's an easy way of not having to make the gore so lifelike and so visceral if it's all kind of filmed in this slightly low-res well, framing. First of all, I think f- filming digitally would have saved them a buttload of time and money. Um, and oh, and we'll come on to the budget later. Yeah. Yeah. Secondly, I think when you're shooting stuff across London and you're blowing stuff up, for example, or you're shooting, you know it's deserted and stuff it's really it's much easier to jack a camera up or to make it look like ctv because it's just cheaper and mm. i think it's quicker and if you've only got a, you know an hour or uh, you know all those scenes where he's walking through london and it's empty they had to close down the roads uh, and they only had an hour and they yeah. apparently they had people um so the road so people would just have to wait for them to stop filming and yeah. they sent attractive women out to uh to appease drivers and to sort they? of yeah, well yeah or well, not appease that's the wrong word but just to sort of say oh sorry yeah we're filming this thing and it kind of helped to keep people a bit happier apparently that's so weird you know? um so yeah i can i i think i think if it was shot on film it would have taken a lot longer and i don't think they would have been able to be quite as uh, on the fly with those those in those situations where they had to shoot very very quickly mm-hmm. um one thing i read that you might have seen as well was that um because the origins of this there's a bit of confusion in this about whether the virus is just anger is rage itself yeah. or if it's combined with like i mean obviously it's combined with some kind of actual pathogen but yeah um, when they were recording the dialogue of all of the infected, they would have them shout actual like English language, like hateful stuff right. underneath the kind of, you know, indecipherable murmurings. Right. And in the sound mix, uh, when Jim is at the abandoned petrol station looking for cheeseburgers and has to kill that zombie boy, right. um, you can actually hear the boy screaming, I hate you, I hate you, over oh. and over in, in English language because right. they got the sound mix a bit wrong. Mm. They used athletes, apparently, in a lot as to play a lot of the undead um, because they were so physical. And a couple of scenes, they, like the, the church scene, I mm. think all those people were like students and they just wanted to do it. They did it for free okay. so that they could do it. Um, I also read... so. This was shot 
this was shot before 9-11 mm-hmm. and um, a couple of the scenes I think are, um, I read that if he'd have shot if he if he'd have shot this after if he this was shooting after 9-11 he wouldn't have shot them because it, it was things like the missing signs at Piccadilly and things oh, so it was yeah. really um, yeah, like really some, poignant some of that happened for real yeah. yeah and it must have been strange because he probably included it as like god this will be such a like jarring unusual yeah, thing yeah, right yeah yeah well he a lot of it, a lot of the stuff he based on other um like bio disasters around the world or, or like the thing with the mother and the baby that's based on a bit of actual news footage the way he finds all the money on the steps that's also based on oh, yeah, a, the, another real the story money becomes worthless would that's yeah and that's based it's, it's happened in um china or something and he's mm-hmm. he based it all on that and, yeah. and even the logo is based on like the actual um it's like an actual that's it that's the, oh, the, that's like the symbol for biohazard yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. um uh, yeah, so the, the, where he finds the money on the steps, it's based on a photograph Daniel Bohr saw, had seen of Cambodia after Pol Pot had been driven out. So yeah, oh, yeah, a lot of this is born out of you know real, real global disasters, and um, I think that does add, add a layer of um, kind of fear to it as well. well that, and doesn't it, it open? It opens with footage of actual disasters, and that's yeah. what's being shown to the the, the monkeys that they're experimenting mm, on. Yeah, yeah, it's. Um, I guess it's making a point that, you know, it, a zombie film opens with that footage and you presume that that's the rampage of zombies, but no, it's real footage of people yeah, yeah. in desperate circumstances. Yeah, this is... So I also read that um, Stephen King loved this film. Obviously a big horror guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. the horror guy. Stephen King, the big horror guy, yeah. You know, uh, and he bought an entire showing of the film in New York, oh, apparently. Or cool. um, just to watch it on his own. I think, think so, yeah. And he used a line that she says, she says something like, he needs us more than we need them or something. Yeah. He used that line in one of his books, in a later book or something. Oh, okay. um, Yeah, which was a bit of a nice homage to um Boyle um and yeah uh I, I really like that they shot this in and around London and it was you know you could really recognize the city you know um you obviously Piccadilly uh, London Bridge yeah it would have been easy to pick places that were that were simpler to shut down yeah and, and could just pass as London yeah the, the the tower block they shot in was but it was definitely in London and that's it's been knocked down now I think right and they blew up the petrol station that was in Canary Wharf so I really respect that because actually shooting that kind of stuff in London is really hard <laughs> and I wonder if you probably couldn't do that now like most people would just recreate that in CGI and you would be able to just sort of um you wouldn't actually be able to do that in the in the city so I think that's pretty cool Mm. Um, so oh I also know that this film was heavily funded by the National Lottery so if you keep your eyes peeled you'll see quite a lot of lottery based uh, product placement uh, that's so weird because these days I think well, I, other film projects have been funded by the lottery haven't they but it seems like this is almost done in a product placement mm. kind of way then. and I did notice that I did see a few lottery yeah. signs. I didn't. I. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have said that they looked like they were prominent enough. They'd been paid for. But that's interesting. Yeah. Maybe it's a bit of a. Maybe it's a bit not quite such a transactional thing. But it's like, well, we're partly funded by the lottery, so let's put a few in yeah, as a yeah. little thank yeah. you, an optional thing. Yeah. That's cool. Um, I did enjoy seeing it again, but yeah, I do feel like my love for that film has degraded a bit over yeah, time. Yeah, I think that's a good. Point. Um. So on to my choice. Yours. Yes, I mean. What's the best way to describe it? I guess it's it, at, at its, it's heart. At its heart, it's a romance, but it's also religious comedy. It's action. Yeah. It's crime. 
it's 1997's uh, Ewan McGregor and Cameron Diaz starring A Life Less Ordinary. Um, I picked this because I think at its heart it is considered to be a bad film. Is it? Yes. By who? By reviewers, by... Well, you'll see, you'll see when you see how much money it made compared to 28 Days Later. Oh. This is very much uh, Danny Boyle's big next roll of the dice after train spotting. Oh, was that? Is that the sequence? Yeah, something that he's tried to do. Yeah, he's tried to make it tonally very different, obviously. It's much mm. lighter. Um, it's much more Hollywood. Yeah. Um, I think the budget was probably considerably more than, than train spotting was. And generally, I think this is considered to be a pretty huge misfire and commercially, as we'll come on to later, a disastrous flop. I mean, I've got to pick my jaw up off the floor <laughs> because I think that's absolutely crazy. That's cr- yeah. <laughs> that's absolutely crazy bananas. Yeah. Because it's a really good film. I, I, I think my thing with, with this versus 28 Days Later, 28 Days Later, I think I always considered was like a critical classic and it's degraded in my mind. Uh-huh. This, I always knew it was pretty ridiculous and that people hadn't gone for it and and also that it is kind of all over the place but the more i see it the more i i feel its charm yeah i haven't seen this film for a really long time and when we watched it i i remember thinking this has still got it there's a lot going on isn't there yeah i mean so there's the whole plot with um there's a whole celestial plot about two angels that basically have to put uh, Robert and Celine, Ewan McGregor and Cameron Diaz's characters in jeopardy to try and force them to fall in love. Yeah. Uh, and that's how that works. But then there's the whole main plot of uh, Ewan McGregor's character has been replaced by a robot and yeah. so he kidnaps the daughter, his boss's daughter, uh, but it turns out that he's effectively inept and she's actually yeah. kind of the, the calculating one and they yeah. hatch a plan together. Um, but, I mean, there's an awful lot of weird stuff along the way, isn't there? Yeah, but I'm, 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 in, I'm there, yeah. I think the angels thing is really fun, and um, I think... Oh, I can't remember the woman's name. It's is Holly Hunter. That's it, yeah. Uh, Holly Hunter and Delroy Lindo uh, play, play the two angels. They do such a good job, and it, I think that, that, is a bit, that is a bit wacky, I suppose. But um, I get it. Like, mm. I think it's really... The story is really well told, so that you, you're never wondering, like, huh, what the fuck? Like, yeah. It's really... It's well explained. And I think, I think McGregor does a really good job. I think Cameron Diaz does a really, really mm-hmm. impressive job. I just thought it was great. There's not really a weak link in the film as far as acting goes. Not oh. that it's very... Oh, go on. There's nope. a weak scene. But I mean, it's, it's very easy to identify the weak links in 28 Days Later. Yes. But here, I feel like <laughs> everyone, is, everyone is giving giving a good account of themselves. Yeah. Ian Holm as her dad and, um, you know, yeah. even the kind of henchman guys. Um, Maury Chaikin, who plays Todd, the local kind of uh, backwards chap who finds oh, yeah, them. Yeah. I actually think his is a brilliant comic performance in this film. Yeah. I think his sort of naivety about, you know, believing that, that Ewan McGregor is a rich rock star yeah. and that, that whole that whole thing is very fun. Yeah. And he's got a friend who's not a dog, but he does bark because he's Felix. in the war. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I like that. Uh, Stanley Tucci is obviously the dentist. He's great, well. yeah, really yeah. Good. He's her orthodontist ex ex partner. Yeah, he does a good job. Although I don't think Stanley Tucci can really be heartthrob. Like he can't be. He's pretty a love uh, interest. No, he's pretty trim in this. But for, with Cameron Diaz, and I don't, I'm not sure where this comes well, from. You're, her suppo- you're supposed to believe that you and McGregor and Cameron Diaz are. Uh... Are, yeah. saying, are you saying you think they're equally matched? I think she's too beautiful for the role. Like I think she's well out. But I suppose she's out of her league. 
um, socially as well as physically. Well, I don't really believe in that, but you know what I mean? Like, typically, I wouldn't have put those two people together. No, and I find I find that everyone's relationship, or everyone's kind of character in this film is very, is very believable. I find it hard to imagine... Uh, Robert and Celine, mm. Ewan and uh, Cameron, as a couple that's going to last. Mm, yeah. uh, it does. I appreciate they'd have an attraction out of the situation, and because they're from completely different paths, different countries, mm. and different backgrounds. But I don't, I don't buy it as a happily ever after, which is Same. how it's presented to yeah. us in the end. Yeah, we had this on VHS when we were kids. Well, not kids, but when we were teenagers. So I, I remember watching this fairly regularly at home. Mm-hmm. And really digging it. Yeah. And I think that's probably why I still love it so much, is because I would watch it a lot. I still love it. And and I was a massive fan of the soundtrack. It's got a great song from Beck on it. It's got a re- one of my favourite R.E.M. songs on it. And the title track, although you don't hear any of the lyrics in the film, the title track, A Life Less Ordinary by Ash, is probably one of the best Ash songs. And I was a huge fan of the band. Yeah. And it was like a huge time. They were blowing up and Danny Boyle was blowing up. Yeah. And it felt like everyone in this film was like about to explode. And it didn't quite perform yeah, that way. Yeah, and it's such a shame, actually. And uh, it's, it's one thing Danny Boyle does incredibly well is a soundtrack. Mm-hmm. That man can put together a really good set, like set of music, yeah. and it is really transportative. And he does that in, I think, all of his most of his films. Anyway, like it's really he he really drags you in and out with like old and new and mm. covers and like trance and it's just like fucking nuts yeah. but it's great I think he's very clever at that um, I try to gather together my criticisms of this film because on the whole I do, th- I do enjoy it a lot um, one thing I found Robert's haplessness very frustrating Ugh, the yeah. idea that he's as useless as he is I found it. I found it quite hard to watch. Sometimes it really irritated me. Yeah. And, and the idea that she would see something in somebody so useless yeah. was quite frustrating. Um, some of the sound is very bad. There's a bit towards the end where the two angels have drafted Selena poem and pretended it's from Robert, uh, and they're having a conversation in a rainstorm. You can barely make out what they're saying a lot of I the time. Don't rem- I don't remember feeling that. I found that quite annoying. Oh, really? And then there's a couple of bits. Danny Boyle loves to have a sort of film within a film. So. Taking the beaches as an example, there's a long sequence where Leonardo DiCaprio's character is represented as if he's playing a video game. game. The same thing happens here in a couple of ways. One is the kind of total fanciful uh, scene where they're singing Bobby Darren's Beyond the Sea at karaoke. That, for me, is such a waste of time and it makes the whole uh, that is the one scene I could I wish he never he, that wasn't in there yeah I think it's a great film but that it's it's great despite that scene by all means have a few scenes where you can see them kind of you know becoming fond of each other but Cameron Diaz can't sing and and, really they, and she's trying but she can't and she and if that's really well known yeah and they could have dubbed it and they haven't mm. um they, you know, they sort of, it takes a kind of a surreal turn and they, they suddenly they're all in like kind of full ballroom yeah. brigade or like kind of, you know, kind of dance jackets and stuff. Um, and it just smacks of Danny Boyle saying, do you know what? One day I'd really like to work like a kind of choreographed dance routine mm. into a film. And that's the only reason it's there. There's, it doesn't serve the plot. No. You know, They could have done karaoke without it going so overboard. I agree. Or, yeah. I agree. I think it was a mistake. And like I said, I think it's good despite that scene. Yeah. I really hate it. My, my other main problem is uh, the ending. Um, so I, I looked up a bit more information about this and I feel vindicated because it doesn't end it doesn't really end there's a sort of there's a damp 
a damp. I mean, obviously, you know, there's there's a big kind of action climax, then there's a bit of a damp squib of a live action ending, and then it moves into this kind of claymation short film over the credits of mm. them getting married and what they do with the money, and uh, it felt like the film didn't end properly. To I me. agree. So I looked it up, um, and according to IMDb, uh, the epilogue was created after the filmmakers realised they hadn't accounted for what happened to the stolen money. So I mean, so already we've oh, got yeah. people already we've got people completing a film and not even thinking about how they tied the plot up. With the actors busy on other projects, Boyle decided to use animation instead. So oh, yeah. it's not like a bold creative decision. <laughs> it's just that they forgot to tie up a loose end and they couldn't get Cameron and Ewan back. Brilliant. So what what can they do? You know, turn to some claymation animators. Uh, and then that's how you end a film that's been, you know, 99% live action. It doesn't... It, it doesn't add up. Yeah, I agree. I, I like the look of the claymation. They've yeah. got the likenesses right. But to just whack that in at the end, it did feel to me like this... This doesn't feel like a smart decision. No, I agree. It was. It is a bit of a shame, and and I completely didn't even think. Oh yeah, what do they do with all the money? Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. It is a shame, and and I didn't know that it was this kind of afterthought and mm. thinking process. But um, I don't. I, it doesn't doesn't ruin it for me. Mm. Um, and some reviews I've read have criticised it for being a tonal mess. You know that it's like. It's serious, it's funny, it's romantic, suddenly it's like very violent. I actually think it's a credit to this film that it can hold all those things together and it still makes sense. Yeah, I think you're right in struggling to define its genre. Like, I don't really... It, it is a romantic, it's not really a comedy, It's but it is a bit of a thriller. Uh, yeah, and there's a lot of jeopardy and threat involved. Yeah. But yeah, I think, it's, I think it is quite, quite... I can't think of many other films that do that well. Um, a film that's yeah to, to think that it's got like a scene where Todd the, the local hick turns up at the door and they have to sort of there's a kind of comedy back and forth trying to get rid of him but it's also the same film where you've got you know to like a screaming REM song Ewan McGregor's character being forced to dig his own grave and then yeah. lie down in it like, and then and, and an earlier scene there's a shot with a fake bomb and then he's being shot at and the car's being blown up he's being, there's a car chase yeah you know it is it is a bit all over the place in that sense but I quite dig that in, yeah because the whole the plot is all over the place and what they're doing is, and then they're robbing a bank and then they're in uh, the dentist mm. place and he's uh, getting drunk it almost feels like the sort of film that Woody Harrelson could turn up in doesn't it like a sort of like a slightly nuts surreal crime caper <laughs> kind of thing yeah yeah um, it was originally scripted to take place in France and England. Oh. Um, I do think it was a bit weird that they kept Ewan McGregor's Scottishness for this film. Um, mm. I wonder if he just couldn't do an American accent. Um, well, at, for at the, the best. At this point. I mean, he certainly tried since. Um, but, for the best. Yeah, I mean, I think it works in some ways because it, it, it marks him as at odds with Cameron Diaz's character. Mm. So, you know, he's singing Oasis lyrics and he wears a kilt in the end of the wedding mm. and things like that. Um, it does mark them as being very different people, mm. but I did wonder if actually they just did it because he couldn't couldn't pull off American at that point. Yeah, like I do think there there were there are better American actors who could have played that role and who would have been a bit more believable for them to fall in love together. I don't know. Mm. I just find who him... would you like to have seen in either of those roles instead of those two? It's tricky because you have to really transport yourself back to 1997 to like who was famous at the time yeah. and who is his equivalent in kind of 
a bit haphazard, a bit stupid and kind of lovable. There were a lot of heartthrobs at that point that wouldn't have the range to play stupid. Like yeah. at that time, it could have been someone like Josh Hartnett or someone, but I don't know that they would Ooh. be, I don't know that they would play goofy enough. Absolute throwback, Josh yeah. Hartnett. What's he doing now? I don't know. I'm, or like Ryan Felipe or someone like that. Oh I'm my just god, another one. I'm just trying to think of like, you know, 90s lead good-looking male actors that could have been this, but... So I they're too attractive. Yeah, I, and I don't think any of them, they're too straight. Ewan yeah. McGregor's got, got that goofiness about him. And he is quite funny. I do yeah. quite like him, like when like when he makes her the steak and uh, I think and yeah. he's cooking. Oh, and that conversation they have about he's demanded half a million dollars and she's like, that's no fu-, and she's like, that's not very much for a woman yeah. like me. It's like, it's not supposed to be a reflection on your, you know, individual <laughs> worth. That happens a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I think this is kind of the inverse of 28 Days Later. This is a film that, that I, I quite liked, but I knew it was a failure. And the more I watch it, the more I feel like it's a success. And until we did this, I did not know Danny Boyle directed that. Oh, Lifeless Ordinary. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah. There you go. There's a treat for you. Yeah. Um, yeah, so let's talk a little bit about uh, how they were received and what they made. Uh, you might not be surprised to know that 28 Days Later certainly got the better critical reviews. Sure. Uh, averaging 7.6 out of 10. Uh, a Lifeless Ordinary, 6.4 out of 10. Oh. Um, but the box office is the real surprise. So 28 Days Later was e- made for an estimated $8 million US. Uh, its opening weekend, it did $10 million, uh, And worldwide since, it's done $85.7 million. So that's a huge success. Yeah. It only cost $8 million. I think that's... You know, they shot it digitally. The cast was relatively new. Yeah. I mean, that's, a, that's the other thing. I think getting Ewan McGregor to play Killian Murphy's role would have cost Danny Boyle for quite sure. a lot of money. Especially yeah. as he'd basically be paying apology money for not casting him in the beach. Go. Um, but I can't, I can hardly believe these figures are true for uh, A Life Less Ordinary. Budget was an estimated 12 million, so a third mm. more, sorry, 50% more than 28 days later. Mm. Opening weekend in the USA, $2 million. <gasps> Cumulative worldwide gross, $4.3 million. No. So according to these figures, and I, I find it hard to believe them on IMDb, it's lost $7.5 million. I can't believe that. I can't. It's too good to have, you know. Yeah. And everyone was like riding on a wave. All the people in that film were like on, on the ascent. Yeah. It just seems so weird that it did so badly, but apparently that's how badly it did. I feel really sad for that film because so, I feel like it deserves more than that. Which is the best film, I ask you? I think it's it's a uh, life less ordinary. Yeah. But uh, but I think 28 days later is culturally a better film because it's defined uh, I think a lot a lot of things mm. and it has it's it's done a lot for its uh, kind of genre but I still prefer life less yeah, ordinary. I think I agree. I think the innovative nature of 28 days later has made people overlook a lot of things simple things that should have been better in that film. Acting. Yeah. Uh, a life less ordinary is a glorious mess. Yeah. I think. Yeah. And there's just things like, just, there's moments where it all comes together, like where um, he gets shot by the security guard outside the bank and the money flies in the air and there's a giant bank sign in the background and Ash is playing and it's like, you just feel like you're watching a great film. Yeah. 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 Okay, so we agree yeah. this week. Life less ordinary. Yeah. I'm interested to see if people on Twitter agree with us. I'm willing to bet they probably don't. Yeah, probably. Uh, Sorry. We're on Twitter Hello, Future Adam here, dropping in a quick edit to give you our correct Twitter address, which is at Film Club Pod UK. That's at Film Club Pod UK on Twitter. Please do come and find us. Okay, back to my past self.
We'll put a poll up between these two films. Uh, please do let us know which one you preferred and also obviously which Danny Boyle film you would have picked yourself and why. Yeah. Uh, we'll maybe talk about that on a future pod. Um, you can get in touch with us on email as well, filmclubpod at gmail.com, so please do that. Um, but right now it's time for us to pick next week's category. Whose turn is it? Oh, I think it's mine. I'm going to say it's mine. Of course you are. I could listen back, but Every time. where's the fun in that? Okay, let's see what we got. Okay. Okay. Category selected. Interesting. You always say that, honestly. Give me that. I mean Let me see. It's gonna be it's gonna be fun after this week's category to look at next no. week's category. What are the odds? A strong connection between this week and next oh, week. That's funny, isn't uh, it? So join us next week on the Film Club Podcast, uh, where we'll be discussing this new mystery category and our film picks thereof. Uh, do get in touch, filmclubpod at gmail.com. Um, and please do like and subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts uh, the more reviews we get the higher up the charts we go uh, the more coverage we receive and the more people join us in this film club uh, so thanks very much and goodbye thanks Club's gorgeous theme music is written and performed by Tom Rosenfeld and Joe Silverstone. Uh, if you want to find out more about them and the many great bands they're in, including Mesodorm, The Spindle Ensemble and Our Man in the Field, you can go to Tom's Instagram at instagram.com slash four vertical, the number four and the word vertical, or instagram.com slash Joe Silvercello. That's J-O Silvercello.